All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is TK. Yeah, yeah. And we're back for another episode. Today the topic is Tradition 11. Got a very special guest with us, Miss Jesse N. Is that correct? That's right. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm doing well. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, we'll start with your clean date and give your home group a shout out. So I got clean February 6, 2010, and my home group is Sunday Serenity at Beth Meyer Synagogue in Raleigh at 5.30 p.m. every week. Awesome. 5.30 p.m. in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yes, and we're the best home group, of course. All super uh, entrenched in service, which is probably going to be a theme of today's conversation. Absolutely. So now that you say that... um... Uh, most people that get on here feel the same way about their home group, but how special is it to to really have that feeling and be able to to feel like you're home when you walk into your home group? Yeah, so uh, I think it's a I think it's huge um, for me, especially this home group is important. I'm not from North Carolina originally. I've moved around a lot within the last like four or five years, and. Um, you know, I had a hard time getting connected here. I moved here during the pandemic, so everything was shut down and then things were slowly moving back or slowly opening back up after the pandemic. And, um, you know, it was just, it was difficult to find a place that really felt like home and to to find people I really truly connected with. And um, in the past, my home groups have at least, you know, my... <laughs> favorite home group was a Sunday night and we read literature. And so I was really hoping to find a Sunday literature meeting. And I went to one and it had people that were involved that I had seen at other meetings and people were laughing and it would just, it just really, it just really did feel like a sense of home. And it felt like a place where I belonged and that I could make a difference. And so to me, that made everything um, potentially like life or death. Um, it really helped me get engaged with the fellowship again after the pandemic. So when you first moved to, to Raleigh or during the pandemic, are you going to in-person meetings or are you just, are you mostly online or? Yeah. Uh, I don't think there was any open, at least none that I was aware of. And so, yeah, it was just mostly online. And even then it was like starting, you know, I was kind of getting sick of online. <laughs> right. And so uh, we were really just waiting for things, you know, to res for restrictions to lift so we could uh, go back in person. I really miss like that in-person connection with people that are local to me that I can like maybe get to know their families and things like that. Being like deeply rooted in my community um, is really important to me. So I was really looking forward to getting back in person but it was uh I don't know how long it was just maybe like six months before that happened so you know it was challenging yeah so you're like nine years clean at the point of the pandemic somewhere around that so yep I had just celebrated uh 10 years right before everything years. shut down yeah. yep yeah so that's um that was it was crazy time but what's yeah. crazy to me now is there are people even still to this day, even though everything's open back up that got clean on zoom and have never attended an in-person meeting. And here we are, you know, I want to say we're on the other side of it, but I mean, we're kind of back to normal. Um, and, and to think that 
a person's never walked in and experienced what it's like to be in an in-person meeting. That just blows my mind. Yeah, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but I know that I'm just really grateful that our our message is even is more accessible than it's ever been. And so, you know, I have my preferences and opinions and things like that, but, um, you know, I'm glad that this program isn't only suited for me. No doubt. No doubt. It's, it's interesting, you know, like I'll, I'll randomly be laying in the bed, you know, can't go to sleep. And sometimes I find myself jumping on a meeting and one of my favorite meetings is in Bali. Oh. Uh, they, yeah, so I, I joined that meeting. And we actually had a guest from Australia that was on the podcast that I met on that meeting. So, you know, being able to have that opportunity and really kind of broaden your network, I, th- I think that's something that's really cool that's that, that's came from the pandemic, if anything, you know. Yeah, I've definitely used, um, you know, the 24-hour meetings, yeah. you know, when I'm late at night and can't sleep and, you know head's kind of racing and it's also really cool where I got clean it was a real rural area in Minnesota and um, the meetings were very spread out there was only three a week I think at the time when I got clean um, that were accessible Uh, most people didn't really have a lot of money didn't have cars you know whatever so 90 and 90 was impossible for most of us like I didn't do 90 and 90 when I got clean I, I went to a lot of meetings as many as I could and we traveled for some when possible but you know, 90 and 90 just isn't a part of my story, at least <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, I think I did 90 and 90 or very close to at the start of the pandemic, though, but um, virtually. However, you know, now even people that live in in areas like where I got clean and don't have vehicles or maybe have travel restrictions for other reasons, like it's like I said, it's more accessible now. And yeah. I think that's really awesome. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's interesting you bring up the 90 and 90 because when when we got clean, uh, we had what at the time what was it four NA meetings yeah. that we were had access to, or four days a week that we could attend meetings to. So we attended the other fellowship. Or yeah. what's really interesting is when I was getting clean, I worked and um, I wouldn't be home in time for the meeting. So we would come over to his house and my sister's house actually, and some members would bring their basic text after they'd already attended the meeting. So I could get my 90, 90. And so that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. But, um, like you said, you know, I think this is something we've not talked about on a lot here. So I'd like to cover it just a little bit for those people who may be listening, who hear the suggestion of 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, and you just really don't have access to it. And, you know, there are some people who really are so broke in the beginning that they don't have a phone or possibly even access to Zoom. So um, I think one of the things that they told me in the beginning is, well, every time the doors open and you can get there, try to get there. Yeah. You know, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I think the important thing is go to as many meetings as you can and especially find a few. It's good to, you know kind of broaden your base and see what's out there, but find a few and just attend those consistently, even if they're not the best. Um, allow people to get to know you. Also an important part of like kind of picking a fellowship. <laughs> it's not, I try to explain this to newcomers who care to ask, try not to give unsolicited advice too much, but um, you know, I'm like, it's really, it sounds like a petty thing, uh, but really like it's 
it's important, like allow people to get to know you. And that's harder to do when you're maintaining relationships all over the place, at least at the beginning. So, you know, stick to a few meetings and make those kind of your constant. People know that they're going to run into you at those meetings. And if you're not there, they know that they should probably reach out. And, yeah. um, you know, I believe the phone works both ways. I haven't always believed that. I believe like if you want it bad enough, you'll reach out until I was in a place with multiple years clean and I was so low, I couldn't reach out and that humbled me. And so now if I if I notice someone's gone, like I'll be like, hey, I missed you. And so, but I don't have the chance to do that if people don't show up consistently and, and same goes for me. And so go to as many meetings as you can, go to at least one, your home group consistently every single week. Um, and like for me, it was really important to get into the literature because again, like we didn't have meetings uh, that often. And as great as the people in this program are, like we're all human and they're going to let me down eventually. And so there's going to be times where people don't answer the phone or they don't really give me what I need to hear at the time to like relieve my suffering. And so, you know, practicing prayer and just getting into the literature and reading the words of other addicts um, really saved my ass a lot especially early in recovery, but all throughout recovery. And so like, I try to remember those days and communicate that to other people. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the literature too, because that even with time, it's easy to, for your belief system to kind of go get into left field from time to time. And I, and I think getting back to those core principles that's in the basic text uh, sometimes can get the train back on the, on the rails again, you know, because sometimes we start, well, I'll keep it on me. Sometimes I start thinking that I'm the smartest person in the room and, you know, I start believing my own bullshit for lack of a better term. And then sometimes when I get back to the basic text, it's really a gut punch, but it's in a good way, you know? So the literature is key to kind of getting back to the basics and i think that's why they call it the basic text <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean I love our literature since uh you know I came to NA first uh I didn't experience any other 12-step programs um and so I don't know what my experience would have been like if that wasn't the way it happened but I remember reading the literature for the first time and even still to this day every time um it really felt like I was like reading strands of my DNA, like I'm a science and examining like my innermost self. That's like how deeply I've always connected to the literature. And, you know, when I got in here, I was like, so fried from using, I couldn't read. The only thing I could read and concentrate on was the basic text at first. And so, it, you know, so that's all I would do, you know, my mind would be racing, and I would like either say the serenity prayer, over and over and over and over again, like rapid fire, just to try to like not allow another thought to penetrate or, and, or get into the literature and just like get out of myself and, uh, and learn about myself. And it just like, at moments when you feel so alone, you just like, it, it just goes away when you are reading something you relate so deeply to. And I'm just like, so grateful for, um, our literature process and, um, just having it available. Like my first meeting, everyone, the women in the meetings bought me like I gave me a stack of literature and they signed the you know the cover of it and wrote like a cute note and I didn't pay for any of my first literature I got all of them hardcover you know I was just like uh you know super blessed with the amount of support I got when I got in here so I had like a lot of tools early on and then um love how you, you know, that about strands. 
I love yeah. how you put it about the strands of the DNA because yeah. I felt the same way. I mean, it was, it just seemed like the words was jumping off the page. Yeah. I was just like, Oh my gosh. And then I wanted to know who wrote it. And it yeah. seems like such a broken record. I talk about this all the time. You well, know you what I'm do, saying? But, but it's a good story. Buddy. It's, um, it just, it was like, who wrote this stuff, you know, and I couldn't find an answer later on. Of course I did. Yeah. yeah. So part of my story is I got involved in service right away. I'm like a compulsive volunteer. <laughs> like my first meeting, I actually didn't get it, but I raised my hand. I was a little too slow <laughs> uh, to try to, we had greeters where I come from. And yeah. so each week someone would volunteer to be at the door and hug people, which was like a huge deal for my first meeting. And um so they they call in the middle of the meeting, like kind of during announcements and stuff, they'll call for, you know, volunteers to do that. And I immediately raised my hand. Someone was faster, so they got it. But the, the next week I got to do it. Um, but yeah, so I just, but I got involved in service right away. That was my first service. But we also had a mentorship program. So I was able, it didn't really take off, but I was able to benefit from it. And I, I asked to get a service mentor because I wanted to chair the meeting because I, had the huge ego and I wanted to be like the leader and the person in charge, <laughs> which I'm so glad for the mentorship program because they, that they would not, you know, they're like, you got to come and set up and do all this grunt work. And then finally, after however long they let me facilitate. <laughs> and by then I knew that this was nothing special, <laughs> um, but so I got to do that. But then with 30 days around 30 days clean, I attended a car workshop, a conference agenda report workshop. Yeah. where they're going all over all these motions at world. And I had no idea what they were talking about, but it was there that I learned how our literature is made. And um, I was like, that's so cool. You know, I want to do that one day. And um, I'm like, Oh, I got how much clean time do I have to have? And so um, <laughs> it was just, I was just so inspired and so uh, naive and oblivious, but um, I knew that I was plugged into something much larger than myself. And that like gave me a ton of hope. That that is incredible. Um, do you still have uh, greeters to this day at your home group? So yeah, so I I got clean in Minnesota, and now I live in North Carolina. Oh, okay, and so yeah. there's a few meetings in our area that do. Uh, my home group has our we're at a synagogue, so we have to the the facility requires the doors to be locked at all time yeah. for security reasons, and so we have to have someone at the door. Um, and they, most people just like kind of open the door. I try when I volunteer to be the opener or whatever for that month to give like a full NA welcome, like I used to, you know, open the door and be like, Hey, glad to see you and a hug if they want one. And, uh, yeah, I think that's really important. And actually, um, as I was kind of reading on the 11 tradition today to, to prepare for this, part of that talks about like what makes na attractive and it besides yeah. just our pr stuff which we can probably get into later yeah it's what what's the like the, the other side of that coin you know what's the follow-through and it's like once people agree to engage and like come to our meetings what kind of experience do they have do they are we it even talks about like hospitality like is the meeting set up and ready for them is coffee being made if if that's something a meeting provides like is there mm. someone at the door do you do you know which door to get into? You know, all those things really impact the attractiveness and the way we carry the message and welcome people in. And so, like, I remember, my memory sucks, <laughs> but I remember almost every moment of my first meeting, starting with the person who was at the door, even after the meeting had started, because I was late and that gave me a hug that, like, changed my life. And so I 
try to be that person. I am not very good at it all the time because, you know, <laughs> obsession of self. Right. Maybe I'm too busy or too important to give someone a hug. <laughs> um, but if I take some time to reflect, I'm like, oh, shit, this is important. I better do it. And I do it and enjoy it. But yeah. All right. So um, we kind of got started there a little bit, but let's yeah. let's um, get to know a little bit about you and kind of how you found N.A. in Minnesota and kind of walk us through. You know, you talked about being new there for a little bit. So kind of talk take us through, you know, a lot of your early recovery, your first year or so, and kind of some things that happened in between there and milestones and things that you got back and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I think the novel thing about my story is I got clean at 15 years old and I've stayed clean since. So that's kind of special, I guess, but the special part was nobody treated me like a kid. Um, mm. uh, at least not early on, not when it really mattered. They treated me just like any other addict. And it's funny now because people still consider, you know, I'm almost 30 and people still consider me young and people were my age when I got here. Some, some were older, some were like 50, but there was plenty of people my age when I got clean, they were not young people to me. <laughs> they were twice my age. And so yeah. um, I laugh and I'm like, I'm not the person you want talking to the young person. They're not going to relate. Um, but anyway, uh, I digress. <laughs> um, but people really, they really um, practice the spirit of anonymity and they really just treated me just like another addict, which to me, I really needed. And I needed people to take my disease serious because it was, it wasn't like, which I've heard a million times since like, oh, it's so good. You got it so young. And I'm like, if I didn't, I would be dead. Like it was yeah. the bitter ends, you know, I had nothing stopping me in my use. Um, it was pedal to the metal. And so, uh, you know, I went really hard and I, and I, I got really low and, um, I don't think I would have lived much longer. Um, and so, you know, I found, and when, I, by the time I found NA, like I was so broken and desperate, like I was actively trying to kill myself and not doing a very good job at it, uh, coming close, but, um, I just so badly wanted some relief and I found relief um, at my first meeting. Someone I had used with that I ended up dating, he went to rehab and called me from rehab and kind of planted the seed that like, could it be the drugs? Because um, I just really didn't know any other way. I didn't know that recovery was an option, especially for me personally. And uh, so when he had got out, he um, asked if I wanted to go to a meeting with him. At this point, I had started outpatient treatment. I had maybe like a week or so clean. Um, and yeah, we went to that first meeting and I just like got such a welcome. I like, I'm so glad NA is not a real cult because I drank the Kool-Aid immediately. After my first meeting, I was talking with members in the hall and I told them I wanted to stay clean forever. And they're like, whoa, 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 just for today. And I'm like, okay, just for today, I wanna to stay clean forever. <laughs> uh, no, I keep coming back. And so, um, yeah, and so I just like, I went crazy for this. Like, it was the first time I felt hope in a long time. And so I got a sponsor immediately. She was very rigid and structured, which even though I'm very hard headed and stubborn was, I was so broken, I just like did everything she said. She had a lot of time for me, which was great. I spent 85 minutes on step work a day because I was in in-school suspension. So I was like in a all white, you know, cement block type of room. And instead of doing homework, which I probably should have been doing, 
I was reading the literature and writing down steps. So I uh, finished the steps in about four months, all 12, um, but worked them pretty thoroughly. And uh, like I said earlier, like I just got involved right away um, and group level service, area service, and, you know, eventually all types of service. And so um, that was huge. I didn't have anything when I got here and I didn't really acquire a lot either. You know, I was young. I It wasn't really necessary for me to like repair my life too much. I really had the freedom to just do a lot of internal work. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know how much like external repair there was, but you know, after the first year, that's when I started my other Sunday home group. Um, when I had a year clean approximately, it took a while, you know, a lot of the, if you've ever started a meeting, there's a lot of meetings before the actual meeting happens. And so there was a few months of that and planning and things like that before we actually had the, um, first recovery meeting. So, um, but yeah, it was just really cool. I just like really just connected with people. I would go to every meeting I possibly could, um, go out to eat after every meeting. I didn't have any money. I was bumming cigarettes from people. (laughs) Um, I was, uh, they would always like, they just get me like a side of fries, which I was so grateful for. Um, and then once, and they just told me to like, you know, once I, you know, can do the same, give it to someone else. And then by the time I was, had money to provide food for a newcomer, they were like ordering full entrees. And I'm like, well, I can't (laughs) afford this. Like times have changed, but yeah. Anyway, I just like, people just really poured into me and, um, I soaked it all up. Well, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you you was talking about getting clean at 15. And mm-hmm. of course, I know that the disease isolates us tremendously. So I'm, I'm thinking about friends at 15, like that's the beginning of high school. Yeah. You know, and you go through that and you, you totally isolate yourself. Maybe I don't know the whole story, but I'm just, I'm just curious, like me and my friends was going to parties every single night it seemed like between junior and senior year and i just i can't imagine what it would have been like to been like you know what y'all go on because i've got to go over here Mm -hmm. so i can't imagine what that was like you know to you because you kind of single yourself out you know to a certain extent like i'm not like you all (laughs) i can't do it (laughs) school was yeah and school um, overall I was fine. Cause I really found like my, my tribe in NA, but school was hell. I hate, I was, school was easier when I was high. Um, at least I could go to school. Cause I would like, you know, scheme and ways to cop or like, where's the next party or things like that, or panhandle. <laughs> oh, you got a dollar, you got a dollar, you got a dollar. There's like hundreds of people to ask and they don't know any better. Um, but once I no longer had those reasons to go to school and I did, I just felt so different. And I was like, there was a lot of people that also were using and stuff, but like my life, even up to that point, just was like way different than like a normal 15 year old. Obviously if I had to get clean at 15, I started using young and whatever the circumstances that led to that. Um, And so I did, I felt like really isolated alone. And so I would skip school a lot. I ended up almost getting on probation. I, I avoided all legal trouble while I was using, except after I got clean, I almost got put on probation for truancies. And like, what kind of getting legal trouble after you get clean? How embarrassing. Um, Eventually just dropped out. You know, that was hard. Um, 
yeah, I didn't really have anyone. Most people were like, they didn't want to hang out with me because I was clean. And it was very apparent that like, I didn't belong in those circles anymore either. Uh, the meeting that most or the, the facility where most of our meetings were was right down the road from like half a block away from where I got high most of the time. And after the meeting, I would go there and still hang out with them when I was very new. And they'd all be getting high around me. And the one woman, she asked, she was like, you know, are you sick? sick of it because she knew about na um and she's like are you sick of that yet and i was like uh no i'm actually really loving it and it was like in that moment i'm just like i don't belong here anymore like these people aren't happy for me you know and so yeah it was tough (laughs) part of the uh uh i wasn't going to share it but then i was uh you know it kind of just shows my humanness (laughs) not a good representation maybe of na but you know it takes a while for us to kind of clean up our lives when we get here and um you know, I had heard that like kind of we're all PR and like we're all representing NA. So like if you're wearing NA merchandise while you're going out, you know, kind of be mindful of like how you're treating people and practice spiritual principles. Well, so my version of that as a newcomer, I used to carry my key tags on like a chain on my purse. So they're visible to everyone. (laughs) And I had a few friends that were supportive of my recovery and, uh, but they were still using and engaging in criminal activity. And so when I'd go to the store with them, they would shoplift. I would not because I was practicing principles. Um, and my way of practicing PR was to hide my NA tags whenever I was with them and they were shoplifting. In <laughs> case we got caught, it wouldn't look bad on NAs. So, I mean, that's just hilarious. Like, I'd probably, like, bang my head against the wall if I had a sponsee like that. <laughs> but, like, that was when you're trying. And then eventually I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> Why am I hanging out with these people? These are just not my life anymore. And I think they respected that too. They were like, they really did care about me. And they're like, we don't want to bring you down. So we eventually drifted and went our separate ways. That is such a cool story. You know, you talked about when you first got here, kind of diving in, wanting a service position earlier. And, you know, you you seem to have that type of personality. You're either all in or all out. So I can see, I can see just in a little bit, uh this little time here talking to you that i can imagine by 15 you were ready for a change (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean yeah i went hard for my recovery and i went just as hard with my i I wanted to be like the biggest baddest junkie i used competitively (laughs) which is also one of the ways i manipulated my way into getting more drugs but yeah so it didn't work out too well for me but that's one of the reasons i love my current home group we kind of joke of it it's because we're all like very type A people, overachievers, like all very involved in service. We jokingly make spreadsheets and pie charts for our, our home group demographic, <laughs> like whatever, any anything that you can put into an Excel spreadsheet. We're like making stupid charts and stuff. And and we just, we have fun with it. And uh, it's definitely, I'm, I'm connected to people that really understand me <laughs> and are a lot like me. But there's some people too that are a little bit more chill maybe a little older with more experience that kind of calm us down. They're like, Oh, we're one of my home group members. He's like, I got to raise the children. (laughs) And he's Uh, like our voice of reason when we're getting too ambitious. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you hear you're doing too much a lot of times, right? Cause I, um, like to think of myself as a service junkie, as you would say it. And, I've noticed myself a few times getting out in left field and everybody being like, whoa, slow down just a little bit, you know, bringing the pie charts and different things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, 
typing up these professional reports and giving them out and noticing that nobody was even reading them. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that, yeah, that, I mean, we, I don't know if it's age or, or recovery or both, but like, I've definitely chilled out a lot. I, at least, you know, I still try to stay super, I, I try to stay in the middle, but I'm a lot less to, attached to outcomes <laughs> now. Um, I yeah. just, you know, I kind of really understand group conscious and just realize that like, the best thing's going to happen, whether or not I put in my two cents or not, you know, and I just like, I'm not that important. And yeah. that, um, like, we are all more than the but sum it's of still our important parts to whatever. be ambitious, though, too, you know, oh, yeah, 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 it's still Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm a lot less chill, you know, people said, yeah, I, yeah. people would say I was a uh, morbidly serious when I got here. And I'm like, well, yeah, because this is life or death. And I still believe this is a life or death thing, but, uh, you know, that doesn't mean I can't make mistakes or laugh about things. So I'm yeah. way more chill than I used to be. Well, I'm just curious if the, the gentleman that, that took you to your first NA meeting, is he still clean? Oh no. He basically never stayed clean. Okay. <laughs> that didn't, that didn't stop me from, uh, dating him for a few more years, but, uh, of course not. Yeah. yeah you know, that was basically y'all, uh, yeah, I can help him. Last. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can. Yeah, you can him. carry the message. Yeah, I mean, someone, someone's got up, but yeah, no, definitely not. So, how long was you clean when you? Uh, well, you told us you moved to Raleigh, and what was that experience like? Kind of getting plugged yeah, in. So there? before Raleigh, um, I had I was living in Minnesota. I moved to Chicago briefly, and then I moved back to Minnesota, and then I moved to Boston, or just outside of Boston, Cambridge, technically. And, um, and then from there, during the pandemic, the pandemic started when we were there. Um, I was with my, my fiance and I are both in the program. Um, and then we moved to DC and then <laughs> we moved to North Carolina. So it was, it was crazy. Um, and it was really challenging. Like I said, I'm someone that's like, likes to be deeply rooted and, um, yeah, that's a lot of change. And, you know, like it wasn't even like I had people to break quarantine with, like I just had nobody. And so, um, yeah, it was really tough. Um, but it's really forced me to like apply a lot of those, like a lot of the advice we give newcomers, you know, like going to a bunch of meetings and like reaching out and reaching out some more. And even if they don't call you back, reaching out even more. And, <laughs> Uh, getting involved in service, of course, always helps get connections and um, just really kind of following all the suggestions and trying to remain teachable. You know, like I obviously have like a lot of experience and a lot of opinions and <laughs> they don't do things here the way, you know, I've seen them done. And, you know, I often will think they're doing it wrong and maybe I'm right, but maybe it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I've had to practice a lot of humility and acceptance yeah. and patience in this process. Well, that's a lot of change to it go from, I mean, I don't know where exactly was in Minnesota, but to go yeah. from Minnesota, if you're out there in the cornfields or wherever yeah. you're at, you know what I'm saying? Cause there's a lot of farmland up there. Oh and, yeah. And then to go to Chicago, Boston, DC, and then end up in Raleigh. That is <laughs> yeah. a lot of change. <laughs> yeah. I went from like a rural suburb to like you know, big city to another big city and then another big city and then uh, a larger suburb 
than where I'm from. It's it's probably uh, the way they do meetings is a little bit different in every place that you've been to, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And well, in DC, we were there the entire, like the peak of the pandemic. So we didn't actually get to experience really any local recovery there, unfortunately. But yeah, every place has been uh, a little bit different. All right. So we kind of, let's touch on um, the, you mentioned service. Let's touch on some of the service that you've gotten to do since you've been here. Oh gosh. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I've done almost everything at least at the group level. Um, My favorite type of service has been like anything in like the communication track. So I always loved being a GSR even still. That's when at one point in time, I used to make all my sponsors get a GSR position. And then I realized that's a little crazy, but, (laughs) um, but that's how much I love it. Cause you, you, you are in the middle if Mm. you are a GSR and uh, you get your information firsthand, you know, you're not going through a middleman. I always tell people like, I didn't like, you know, I wanted to go straight to the source. This is how you go to the source in NA. No doubt. Um, but yeah. So, and then through that, you know, GSR and then RCM. And then eventually I was on the delegate team for the Minnesota region and like that type of stuff. Like, especially, I mean, area was really important. Like the people I know that were like there in the beginning when I got clean that are still clean, all were doing area service with me. And so regardless of, you know, if you've done area, you probably butt headed with those people, you know, you, they might not be your first pick, (laughs) but Uh, those end up being like your ride or dies. And so I just have so much love and appreciation from everyone I did area service with. And and even today do area service with, um, and, uh, but when I started doing, uh, regional service like that, and which opened me up to kind of world service is really where my, um, my life just kind of blew up in like the best way. Like I had only, I had really limited examples of what I I could be, who I could be and what I could do in this life and in this recovery. And, you know, once I I got involved in those levels of service, like, you know, my, my base was just so much more broad and I had all these examples and I had a lot more unofficial mentors that kind of taught me how to just show up in general. Um, and so, yeah. And so, so I did a lot of different things like stuff with like PR, H9, um, some of the other things I mentioned. Um, one really cool thing though, is at least in the past, I think they're still doing, I think it's mostly the same today. I don't really keep tabs on it, but the Minnesota region is project-based. And so you're elected to um, a fellowship services team, which is similar to how the world board functions. It's basically a group of trusted servants. They're like the worker bees of the area. And you're basically elected to just be of service, period. So anything the region decides, like the RCMs decide, is worthwhile, then that's what you get tasked to do. And you kind of internally figure out who's going to do that. So that allows me to be involved in every type of service. And at least in the past, the Minnesota region's like super innovative, especially with like PR stuff. And so I got to be involved in projects that like nobody else in NA was doing. And so, uh, or maybe even still not doing. And so that was just like so cool. And I'm working closely with people with way more experience than I have. And so they're really teaching me like how it to show like up. That, and- seems like that would be really efficient. And like you said, it's kind of innovative, like 
you're yeah. doing things at the regional and area level that, you know, other groups, um, you know, they may be years behind the things that you're able to accomplish in that type of service structure. That's, uh, that, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. You only need like, you know, I don't know, like eight to 10 people to do an insane amount of work and it works really, really well. And, you know, I really make a put, that's like the hill I die on. I choose to die on is I like try to, I'm like, this is the way, you know, cause we have all these subcommittees that aren't being filled in it. And I really firmly believe there's no shortage of people in NA who are willing to do the work. We are all passionate. Like we've been given a new way of live, a new way to live. And we want to give back, but we don't want to waste our times. Our lives are great today. (laughs) We have things that we miss out on when we go to meetings or do service. Although those are great too. Like, you know, there's opportunity costs associated with that. And so like, if I'm going to give my time, I want it to be impactful. And I know I'm not the only one. And we have all these members that have all these skills and they don't want to just show up to committee meetings and argue or just give reports or talk. Maybe it's more peaceful, but yeah. still not very productive. They want to do work. And there's a lot of people Dude. like with projects, like a lot of it, like on the fellowship services team, I would be like a project coordinator. And so it's not necessarily my job to do the work itself. It's to find people to do the work. So say we have a public relations booth at a, at a mental health event or something, some conference, and I just go and find the volunteers I maybe train them. I might be the one that's like the single point of accountability, sending an application to the place, you know, signing the vendor agreements, whatever. Um, but I, it doesn't mean I have to do it all myself. I just have to be the person to find the people and train the people. And um, most people will sign most people will sign up for a one day commitment. Yeah. And so we're just able to do a lot of really awesome work. Um, one of the things that I was, uh, responsible for for a few years was um sorry let me just catch my breath I get passionate if you can't tell <laughs> yeah. um so the not NA the Minnesota Department of Corrections has transition fairs so when inmates are um, nearing their release date about a year maybe 18 months um or sooner they go to these transition fairs, which are essentially resource fairs. There's, uh, you know, employment agencies that will help them with jobs, housing agencies that will help them with housing, um, different recovery groups like NAAA, smart recovery, things like that, um, religious groups, like all sorts of resources to hopefully help reduce the recidivism rate and get them plugged in and successful when they get out. And so we would set up a booth there there was um oh gosh it's been so long <laughs> um like eight to eleven transition fairs a year i think and um we'd set up a booth there and we'd hand out regional meeting lists and really what that was good for we all know meeting paper meeting lists can get outdated um so it also have like the helpline and website information but you know these people are from all over the place and so they can look at that list and see oh, there's actually a meeting in the town that I live. Cool. So that's like awareness, right? And then give out some pamphlets. But the most important thing we do there is another project in Minnesota. It's called the Bridging the Gap Project. We actually stole the idea from AA. Yeah. And um, if you're not familiar, I'm sure there's someone listening that's not familiar, is um, someone can't, any person, usually it's someone in treatment or you know in jail or prison, but it could be any member signs out this little form that says, you know, I would like a 
to request a temporary contact, different from a sponsor. And we have a database of members who sign up to be temporary contacts, and that includes where they like live or go to meetings. And the person at the prison would like put their release date and a way to like for us to reach them. And the day they get out, someone who lives in the community they're being released to will call them and agree to meet them, not pick them up, but meet them at a local meeting and be a friendly face and introduce them to hopefully the winners and get them plugged in. And um, so like a really awesome way to carry the message. When I was um, the project coordinator for the transition fairs, we would have around 800 addicts sign up for that. So the day that wow. they're being released, of course, not all of them are going to make it to a meeting. You know, some of them, the phone that they thought they were going to have doesn't work, whatever. But still, 800 people agreed to go to a meeting the day that they're released or soon after. And, wow. you know, 800 or so volunteers, you know, were reaching back. And so, like, what a freaking way to carry a message. And so that was a lot of work, but that was, like, probably one of the best things I've done. The second best thing or the other, like, highlight of my service that's been super rewarding is I was able to be on the work group for the mental health in recovery IP. Ooh. And that was an incredible process. You know, that little, you know, there was no agenda there, you know, it's like a dream I had as a newcomer and then I just kind of put it away and, and stay busy with everything else. Um, but, you know, mental health is something that's been like a theme in my story as well. And uh, I got asked to be on this work group and it was, an international work group is a small one and just the amount of collaboration and like heart that we had was just like, you know, it was such an honor and a privilege. It was really one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. I think, you know, that the work group was kind of like something, um, you know, kind of like divine or something, you know, like my higher power, I feel like inspired. I, it was like the most perfect combination of people you know, the perfect amount like of diversity and uh, perspective and, you know, nationality and things like that. And um, man, it was just, and like, I get to have like a little, I mean, nobody knows, you know, except for people I'm close to, but I have something, I contributed to something that's going to exist longer than I will. And like, I don't have children and don't plan to have children. So that's like, holy shit, that's amazing. Um, And to be able to give back to a program that's given so much to me in that, in that way that will hopefully really help make recovery easier for the next addict is just like, holy shit, like the most humbling experience some uh, person could probably have. Yeah, no doubt. That is so cool. Um, you know, when I hear you saying that, I can, I can just picture people listening saying, you know, I really wish we could do that kind of stuff in my area or my region. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but realistically, the reason why a lot of people don't do it is just because that's as far as it usually goes. Like if you, we can do those things in our areas, in our region, mm-hmm. you know, it, and like you said, it doesn't take an army of people. If you can get right. four to five, four to five people, you'd be amazed at what you can get done. Yeah. You know? And I loved your concept a minute ago talking about, um, you know, instead of putting a four or five committees together, which requires, you know 38 to 50 people why not let's just get 10 of us together or eight of us together and go out and do these things that need to be done and make sure that it gets done i i love that idea and yeah um, you know i think 
the big thing, I guess the point I'm trying to get at is like, we can do these things in our area. We just got to get involved and get all it takes is like a couple of people mm-hmm. to get it started, you know? Yeah. Instead of trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, like look at the resources we have. We have this amount of people. We have this amount of time, this amount of dollars, and these are our priorities. Now, how do we get that done instead of like, well, we have these, this, we have these committees and we have these policies and guidelines like those. That's not binding. We can change those. You know, we shouldn't just like go rogue. (laughs) Definitely not for that. Um, But we don't have to keep doing things the way we've always done them if it's not working. Right. Yeah. And actually, other than what we're talking about today, you know, these, these traditions outside of that policies, procedures, all those things, like you said, those are those are not set in stone forever. You know, mm-hmm. if, if as times change, we have to adapt or die, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome though. And thank you for all that you've been involved in and all that you are going to continue to do. Uh, you know, it, it's like you said, you get to participate in something that's going to be here long after you're gone. And I think anybody who feels the way that most of us do about narcotics anonymous and how it saved our life, that's, that's all we can, you know, that's, that's what we spend the rest of our life trying to do is give something to it that, you know, somewhat repays what it's done for us. Um, if that's possible. Yeah. You know? It's a debt I'll never be able to repay, but I won't stop chipping away at. No doubt. No doubt. Well, wonderful. Let's, uh, bring in Travis for his favorite part. <laughs> let's yeah. get to business. Let's get to, let's get to the topic today. Ah, traditional Evan. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to maintain, we need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. All right, Jess, what do you got for us on that? So, um, I guess okay. So I'm just gonna keep it real. <laughs> yeah, the keep first, it real. This is like you know, as a, as we've kind of highlighted, like I've done a lot of service in my uh, time here, and. This is the one I feel like is probably most misunderstood. Anytime you're trying to, if you do PR at, at, you know, it doesn't matter how much time you have, how much time you've been doing PR. If you've done any PR, you've probably heard someone, if you've had any ideas or done like any actual PR work, they're like, attraction, not promotion. And it's like, oh, people think, not everyone, some members, you know, uh, think that most of the PR public relations work we do, uh, is promotion and um and i also just want to preface these are this is my interpretation understanding and opinions not necessarily you know i'm not speaking for na um i'm just sharing you know my viewpoints so <laughs> take that for what it's worth um but so uh they think like uh advertisements of any sort like billboards for you know that's promotion right. and that's not what our literature talks about our literature talks about um you know, promotion is like making false claims. Promotions like having a celebrity endorse the program or be the spokesperson or any member being the spokesperson of NA, speaking on NA's behalf. That also kind of goes into the anonymity piece, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, I think it might be just for today reading or something. I don't know where it is in our literature, but there's like something I'm going to butcher it, paraphrasing it, <laughs> but something like, Promotion would be like saying, oh, you're going to come here and get your family back. You're going to have 2.5 kids and a white picket fence and making all these claims. Uh, That's not what we do. You're going to stay clean forever. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What what this 
you know, this is a like anything, I believe this is kind of the NA philosophy I, I buy into is I feel like all of these are our guides for us. They're not hard and fast rules or restrictions. They show us how to show up. They teach us how to show up. And, um, and so like this tradition, the 11 tradition is providing us direction. So it says we focus on being attractive rather than promoting, making these false claims, not to be confused with a billboard that says, here's a helpline number. Um, So like, how do we be attractive? What is attractive? And for me, one of the most attractive things about NA was one, it's a group of other recovering addicts just like me that get it. You know, we don't have like professional leaders, you know, it's not like a, a counseling service. It's none of that. It's, it's people that have lived it, done it, experienced it and, and found a way out. It's also, we have a really simple message that is true, that uh, attraction is, and, and, and public relations, as it, as it is contained within this tradition, um, is basically saying NA is here and it works, period. It's not saying, oh, I'm Jesse and this is how it's worked for me. It's just saying, this is who we are and um it works and you know our message being that any addict can stop using drugs lose the desire to use and find a new way to live it's not a list of promises <laughs> or guarantees and like i said like that was one of the most um attractive things to me when i got in this program because i didn't even believe that i could stop using i didn't know that that was possible for me and so the fact that that's all we guaranteed allowed me to kind of buy into this program um because i didn't believe any of that other stuff could be true for me or i at least didn't want to hear it it sounded like a used car sales pitch and so i'm really really glad that our program just kind of keeps it really simple and keeps it centered on like not using and finding a new way to live. So for addicts like me, that's really attractive. And I think that's part of the attraction piece that this tradition talks about. Um, It also talks, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but like, so, you know, we can say like, here's our program. It works. Okay. Maybe we, we communicated that in a way that people are curious or open to experiencing recovery in NA. So they show up to a meeting. I think this tradition extends beyond just our interaction with the public. It also um, encompasses like when the public or potential members interact with us. So when they show up to the meetings, are the meetings safe? Are they comfortable? Is there a clear message being carried? Um, Is there unity? Are we hospitable? Like I talked about before, are people empathetic? Is there a diversity of experience and culture? I think that's huge. and um, and it also talks that tells us that each of us are responsible in making sure this like checklist is um, carried out. And so one of the things like right now I'm on a convention committee, and one of the things we do is like reach out to different treatment centers and facilities, maybe homeless shelters that addicts where addicts reside, and invite them to our events. Uh, when they show up, is is there going to be a diversity of experience and culture there? Are, or is it just going to be like one demographic of person or recovering addict? Um, and when we don't have like a diversity of experience and culture and it's not safe, um, like to me, that feels like, oh, maybe this works for you, but this can't work for me. 
And so I think it's important for us to at least try to model ourselves, you know, similar to the community we're in. Obviously, some communities are less diverse than others, you know, like there wasn't a lot of clean time where I got clean. So we couldn't have people there with significant clean time, but we could have people there with some, you know? Um, and so we just try to do our best, right? We try to consider the person walking in. Um, and I think one of the most important things about this tradition, and it kind of goes in hand with the attraction. And I think it's one of the really important guardrails to make sure that we're doing this like in a way that doesn't harm NA as a whole is to be really intentional about, intentional about our PR efforts. So thinking like, it, does this fit within the traditions? Is this really focused on carrying the message? Is this going to help addicts find us? Like, what are the implications? What do we hope for? What is the worst thing that could happen? And then once we've considered these, I'm a little bit of a renegade and I think we should push that boundary as much as possible. So I love doing things that matter like I talked about. And so I love PR projects that like are more than just like a poster drive right. are more than just setting up a panel, which is like super important stuff, but we can do so much more. Yes. Um, I was one of the things I did early on. Now it's like so popular. Everyone does it, but it was like attraction promotion. <laughs> central was uh, the NA Minnesota region had a, public page it was mostly just for PR purposes it wasn't like personal recovery stuff it was like hey here's a link to our website here's our helpline maybe a just for today quote you know mostly informational event flyer things like that and um and we'd also like pay attention to the algorithms and help like kind of use the analytics side of Facebook to help us like increase our effectiveness of carrying the message. And we played around with sponsored paid advertising and mm. uh, people lost their minds. <laughs> and now people are more accepting of it. One of the things our zone is looking into doing now is um, a thing called like geofencing. I'm not an expert in any of this. So if I misspeak, yeah. don't, don't uh, slaughter me. But so like if there's a jail or a treatment center or someplace that addicts frequent, um, we could maybe say like, hey, put up a Facebook ad for the helpline to anyone that comes in this little area, geographic area. And it's a way for us to increase our effectiveness of carrying the message, like um, to help addicts find us. Like I got clean just under 14 years ago and I had no idea NA existed. That wasn't that long ago. Um, I didn't know that I could just Google it. I didn't know that I could just walk into a meeting and that nothing was required of me. I had no idea. I'm sure that that is still the truth for some people. And so like we can do better. And I am enthusiastic about the work that like achieves that. And so that requires pushing the boundaries. But again, I think it's important that we're intentional. And so, um, so I already talked about the promotion piece, you know, that's, I, so I'll talk about the anonymity, which kind of goes to the promotion piece. Like, so the personal anonymity piece, like I have, our literature talks that talks about like how we ha have individual responsibility and um, this is not a quote <laughs> um, to disclose our membership. Like I get to decide if I tell people whether or not I'm in recovery and where I get my recovery. And um, you know, it, it's important for us to like practice some discernment. So like I used to tell people a lot when I was new, 
it was also more important when I was new because I was around a lot more using people when I was new. <laughs> it was like being offered drugs a lot. And so it was important for me, I felt to, to be like, hey, no, I don't do that. Actually, I'm in recovery. So like, please don't ask that again. And like, it's really serious that you don't. Um, now I don't run in those circles and I have a little bit more of a professional life. And so I find it less necessary for me to tell people about that unless it comes to a point where I'm like having to lie about where I'm going <laughs> or, you know, it becomes really weird that like, why, why won't you tell me about this thing that you're constantly traveling for? Like, well, how did you and your fiance meet? You know, like um, if it becomes awkward, like then it's just, you know, like we're maybe close enough for me to tell them. Or um, maybe that, you know, our literature uses this as an example. It's like maybe they are struggling with addiction or a loved one's struggling with addiction. That might be a good time to disclose your membership and be like, hey, I know where they can get help. Um, but it's our, it's up to us to do that. Now, where this gets a little <laughs> tricky is it talks about in the 11th tradition is um, that we need to always maintain personal anonymity to the level of press radio and films. And I think the essence of this is what's the most important is um, is that me just like any celebrity and you just like any of us um, don't represent NA itself. Like yeah. I'm never speaking on NA's behalf. I think that is the true essence and I'm sure someone will disagree with me, but I think that's the true essence of this. That doesn't mean that I don't say I'm an addict. I'm on I think this podcast is on the level of press, radio, and films, Absolutely. but I'm not representing NA as a whole. I'm yeah. representing like a little piece in this large mosaic. And I think that, I mean, you do this beautifully. You bring on a diverse set of guests and each of us together help represent NA, but none of us, including the two of you are yeah. the spokespeople of NA. And so I think that's totally appropriate within this tradition. I think that is the true essence of this tradition. I think, um, I think the traditions are extremely important, but I do not think any really, any of our literature is meant to be taken literally. Um, I think we really sell ourselves short if we do, um, but that's not to say that they shouldn't be taken seriously. And so, um, Oh, I think another thing to um, to touch on on the anonymity piece is uh, it says it multiple times in our literature, not just within this step, but anonymity, this the spiritual principle of anonymity and the program of Narcotics Anonymous protects us from having to be perfect. It allows us to change and grow and evolve. And so me maintaining my anonymity in the rooms, meaning that I, I have an equal ground to recover an equal opportunity to recover in NA and publicly, meaning that I, NA's survival does not depend on me and my reputation. Right. Um, that allows me to fuck up. <laughs> that allows me to learn to stop hanging out with people who are shoplifting, you yeah. know, and not just like put away the tags, but maybe just don't engage in that behavior. It allows me to grow and change and uh, recover. And so like, I really feel like all that stuff is really like the true essence of this tradition. And I think it's really important. And I think a lot of people don't get it. And I think that's sad. And hopefully um, maybe I said something that helps people get it. <laughs> or maybe I'm just wrong and that's okay too. I can uh, keep coming back and learn some more. 
No, I think you did a fantastic job in covering all the bases of that tradition. One thing I want to talk about, well, there's a couple of things. Um, you brought up a good point in the attraction rather than promotion, and I think that's held a lot of us back in our public relations efforts um, because we have a hard time deciphering between the two, like you said, and you gave some great examples on the difference between the two, but you brought up something a minute ago, like the sponsored Facebook pages, right? Like, mm -hmm. And I think going back to what you said a minute ago, you ask yourself the question, well, what is the purpose for this? Is this for yeah. me to look good? No, this is to get the message out there, right? Like right. it's no different. Like if we put an ad in the newspaper, we have to pay for that. Yeah. So what is the point? We're paying that so people can ultimately see this so they can find us. It's no different on a sponsored Facebook ad, right? Like the idea is we're going to pay this money. So they, these sponsors ads will ultimately lead more eyeballs to this, whatever, whatever information that's on there to ultimately get them into the room. The attraction part happens once the person walks into the room, I believe yeah. it's yeah. saying that our program is, will speak for itself. Right? Like I don't have to make all these false guarantees. But I still, you still have to know how to get here. So I, I'm with you. I think we should push all the boundaries that we can to ultimately get people into the room and then let the program do the talking for itself. Yeah. We don't have, you know, so. But yeah, another piece, you talked about the anonymity, and I was actually looking at the uh, public relations um, book. It was mm -hmm. talking about when we talk about uh, anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. It actually says in here that PI workers use their names um, since technically doing so would not violate the truth. It's saying it's at, there are times when it's appropriate to use our names. Uh, for example, we did a professionals day uh, last year at our convention where we brought in professionals from around the community uh, doctors and firemen and different things and just you know it would be very weird to go hey i'm mason s how are you doing you know so yeah um in those situations it's appropriate right like uh but yeah, i totally believe it's not what we do it's how we do it and i exactly. think that's what this tradition's about yeah absolutely uh but yeah, if public relations, if it wasn't meant for us to do public relations, I don't think a majority of the traditions wouldn't address yeah. our relationship with the public, you know? So yeah. it, it's something that's obviously very important because we wouldn't have as many guidelines faced towards how we deal with the public. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you uh there's not much more I could say cuz you did a fantastic job covering that and you know um can't thank you enough for coming on here and doing this and you know that we haven't really decided what what this is this podcast we know that we can't decide for ourselves it's not necessarily in a but we try to practice these traditions because to us, it's a form of public relations, you know, and that's our, that's our idea is just ultimately get this message out there. So, you know, we don't waste a lot of time debating. We know it's not a meeting. We know yeah. it's not a bunch of things that NA offers. It's just, we want as many people as possible to be able to hear what NA does for people and ultimately hopefully help them find a way into the room 
and let the program speak for itself. I think you guys do a fantastic job. And we're not the only show in town either. There's many. Um, Maybe the best show, though. I don't know. (laughs) Most, most, uh, to be honest, most recovery podcasts, I'm like gritting my teeth because it's it's hard to do well. But I think you guys have really found a way to kind of stay within the traditions and stay true to what you're trying to do. That's cool. Well, thank you. Thank Thank you you for saying that. Um, He's Batman. I'm Robin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's both are important. Yeah, no, can't get the job done, right? Um, but yeah, thank you so much for doing this, and I think that's about all I got, Travis. You got anything else? We're good. All right, we will be back next week. <laughs>